0: The following podcast may be explicit. Shedcast presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to our third Sidebar Podcast. In this episode, Kurt, Mike, and Joe talk about character creation, specifically focusing on background and backstory for characters. We talk about their importance and what part they play in our games. Enjoy the podcast as Kurt starts us off. Welcome to Adventures from the
1: Shed. Hanging out in the shed today with Mike and Joe. We did, uh, while this is a new episode for you, we just finished a long, epic day of gaming here. And uh, JJ and Mickey had to leave, but we're going to sit around and talk about character creation for a little while and uh, focus on what we like about creating characters, what systems we enjoy creating characters in and pros and cons, and uh, focusing a fair amount probably on uh, character backstory as well. So I'll throw it over to
0: Joe. And I'll say I'm going to tell Mike to say hi. Hi. Hi, Mike. Hey, everyone. Uh, And just as a reminder, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on our website at adventuresfromtheshed.com. You can also find us on Twitter. All the information can be found right on our website. Make sure you give us a good review, like us on Facebook, give us a good rating on iTunes, and we'll just keep on doing this as long as we're hearing from you. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about this. One of the things that we we plan on doing um, soon on Adventures from the Shed, is starting up a whole new campaign. And one of the topics that's come up is character creation. What is it going to be like when we start creating characters? So one thing I'd like to start with, um, Mike, if you would, I know from playing with you in in different games, as well as getting emails from you, you like coming up with character ideas. So how important is the character background?
2: I I think it's huge, Uh, especially because if you think like me, where I want it to be almost like a movie when we play, like if the character has this vanilla background, their background never really comes into the story. So their character is, is pretty one note. You, you don't have the, the, they're secretly a, a, a prince or uh, there's, they uh, grew up in uh, the bottom of a pit or something like something terrible. like <laughs> Raised that. by wolves. Raised by yeah. wolves. Uh, I, I mean, if, if it's fine if you just want to be, I'm the guy that kills the things. But well, why? Why? Why did you kill? Or do you are you the guy that kills things? It 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 just matters. I, I What do oh, you think? It's it's hugely important.
1: If you're going to spend this much time doing something, you you want to have a personal connection with the character you're playing. Uh, for most people at least to the type of people I like to play with, this is not just about rolling dice and getting numbers. I mean, that's, to me, <clears throat> not particularly interesting. It's about the story. And you want to be connected to your character and to the rest of your party. And that works best when each person who's at the table has some emotional and or intellectual connection to who they're playing. Now, I will say, just as an aside, it, it may be clear to some of the listeners that some of us having a little bit of a hard time with the pre-generated characters in the starter set. But... I think this starter set and the Pathfinder Beginner Box, which is their starter set, are absolutely awesome ways into a new game for people because the pregens in both of them are really, really well done. Yep. You will grow beyond it and want to make your own characters and have more fun with your own characters, but if you've never played or you haven't played in 20 years, uh, this starter set or the Pathfinder starter set are great ways into this, the fantasy role-playing world.
0: I'd I agree with that, and uh, one of the interesting parts is, uh, as you had mentioned, uh, JJ and Mickey had to leave, but. I think it's, uh, when you say that a lot of people, or or some of the people here are not that interested in the numbers, Uh, JJ is, Mm -hmm. and now he's also very interested in the background for his characters, but the numbers are very important. If he's Mm -hmm. playing a wizard, he wants that wizard to be able to cast spells the very best he can, so uh, he does care a lot about the numbers, where I know in some cases the the story is more important. And and with that, I want to, our last uh, sidebar was about the GM perspective, and what, what do you think about being a GM? And With that, when the background comes into play, the backstory for the characters, I'll say from the GM perspective, it's very important to the GM in most cases to know what the background is. There are some times where a player actually wants to keep background and backstory information secret from everybody, and then they want to bring it up at some penultimate moment to make a huge impact on the story. And I can tell you that as a GM, that can be very disruptive. Mm-hmm. To me, it's very important that a player, when creating a backstory, shares not only the written backstory but the idea behind it with the GM, so that the GM knows if uh, if I was raised by wolves and now every time I'm fighting with people, I get some tactics that I'm in a pack. You know that that kind of goofiness is important to the story. If, if there is a background, if a character has a backstory then as a GM, I'm going to use it. So if the, if the character was a hidden prince, or no, you know, nobody mm-hmm. knew that the character was a prince, the GM damn well better know, because otherwise it's just not true.
2: It'll just never happen. Right. I mean, right. I, if you're a hidden prince and we never visit the land that you're a hidden prince of, then it's, you might as well not be a hidden prince, because it doesn't really affect anything at all. Well,
1: and I think it is crucial that the GM know, just like you said... Uh, but I also think it's crucial how the other f- party members find out. Um, for those of you who've listened to the starter set, you know we learned our characters all together at that first episode, and I thought it it was a little awkward or contrived where we kind of went around and we introduced our characters and we basically said, here's this side quest I have and here's my fatal flaw... And to me, in a, in a perfect world, that's stuff that comes out as you're playing the game. Yeah. Uh, we don't all say, here's what I want to do, and here's what my weakness is going to be. You, you show that by playing. And, for example, maybe in the first session where there's a lot of stuff with the Rock Seekers, maybe right in session one, I, I, I as uh, Thor, would have said, hey, I need to find those guys. Those are my best friends and clansmen." Whereas JJ's side quest about the altar, he might not have even had to have mentioned that until the second or third session. Yeah. Having said that, the set is great in that those side stories have become relevant, and I'm glad that
2: they, they do tie in that way. Or just think about if if Mickey's secret about being one of the red brands, if that hadn't come out at the very beginning and would have come out when we first encountered the red brands, like one of them said, oh, hey, hey I know Bri. you from the, the yeah. meeting back then. and oh, Or even oh. just, hey, Bree, how you doing? Yeah. 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 And they know her. and. and Just think of how much of a bomb that would have been instead of it being just something that we knew and and sort of teased her about the entire time. It would have been huge. We wouldn't have known if we could trust her or not. She might just be a spy.
0: So, So with that, especially considering in the starter set, they gave background information for each character that was intrinsic to the story already. When you're coming up with a backstory for a character... Uh, Mike, when you're coming up with a backstory for a character, what their life was like before, you know, T zero, the day we start playing, what? When you think about it now, what are the most important parts of that backstory? Is it the childhood? Is it some super special thing that goes in the world? Um, you know, what what are like big plot points for your backstory?
2: Well, I mean, you can do like uh, little things, like what their childhood is like, but you also have to sort of look at like what the character is that you're trying to create like your um if your character spent a lot of time on a boat and you're trying to get a certain character that does that has the ability to turn into aquatic animals then that would explain oh they they spent a lot of time on the boat they know a lot of animals they can they can move on so you, you sort of have to use it along with with everything else to to sort of explain how they get things and and not just it's not just flavor it, it sort of molds it it
0: so if you think of something like uh, the starter sets, Sir Walter Moss character, that that fighter character, where it has, says it has an heirloom axe, a family heirloom great axe, and I know more than oh, once well, you've mentioned, I don't know what this means, but so if you did, if you made that character yourself, you would you have created something in the backstory about why that's even on the character sheet?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, I you could totally come up with some kind of a, a family thing where the axe was. Passed down through his family, and and it's important that he uses only this axe because it was lucky to his father, and it was lucky to his grandfather, and and not just something that they displayed over the mantle that uh, he borrowed when he went out adventuring. Which it could also be <laughs> that would be a, pretty cool, actually. Another right? <laughs> way Stole, stolen
0: go and... the the uh, ceremonial great axe from yeah. above the mantle yeah. type yeah. of thing, yeah. Although, Although the Lucky think?
1: to the Ancestors would be interesting because if you're doing really well, it's great. You're continuing the family tradition. If you're not, then why has that luck abandoned you? Are you cursed? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to play on that.
2: The tough thing, though, with that weapon as, as being a part of his history is we come across these other weapons, and because this is the heirloom axe of my family, even if we came across like the best sword in the world... I would have to really think about putting the axe to the side because i'm this is my family weapon i I need to uh, if I can use the family weapon mm-hmm. so I mean it, it would almost have to get lost for for me not to be able to to continue with it.
0: And I would see, from that backstory of a family heirloom, I could see maybe later than the starter set, but farther in 5th edition, if that character were continued, there's got to be a way in this edition of Dungeons & Dragons to enchant it, to make it better, so that you might take that family heirloom, and because it's part of your backstory, you find a way to make it better, rather than collecting new magical weapons. Right, right. So it continues along with that backstory.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting thing about character backstory. You know, I am a relatively new player. While I played years and years ago, early D anD D, I've only gotten back into this as most listeners know recently through Pathfinder and, and Fifth Edition D anD D. So, and there are so many more classes and races than there were when I played as a kid. You know, back then, I mean, there were, you know, fighters, clerics, it's and the, wizards, the dwarf, and then, elf, and elf I mean, the rogue. And, yeah, yeah, and then the rogue came and. Uh, uh, and that was what it was, um, and if you were an elf, you were a wizard
2: <laughs> i mean at, at yeah, first exactly. I mean, really
1: so for me it 's still exciting to play a new class for the first time, so mm-hmm. like with Pathfinder, I played a rogue, and I had not played a rogue in ages, so just that generic playing a new class is exciting, but as you get more and more experienced and you 're playing your third rogue or your fifth rogue or um, you know your third wizard you want to start making them more unique, and simply casting Ray of Frost over and over is not going to do that. So the backstory becomes really crucial to keep it, I think, to keep it interesting. And I'm really looking forward to playing with Mike in some of these other games because he's mentioned some of the characters he's just tooling around yeah. with in his mind, and they're so yeah. much more interesting than anything
2: I've ever made. Uh, it's going to be fun. I definitely look forward to the when we get into Joe World and I can sort of use some of the multitude that I've created. I, I have a in my notes on my phone I am constantly adding names or going into the names and fleshing out what the the character is, like even like race or or class or part of their backstory or if I come up with an idea for a backstory and I look at the names and think Oh, that would be a great name for this. Uh, so I, I sort of mix and match and and try to get a full picture on what the character is, and I think I've I've fleshed out uh, like three full characters that I could possibly use in the next uh, adventure. So we'll he doesn't know what save. game we're playing, but he's got his characters yeah. all set. Yeah, yeah, he's got <laughs> the oh, ideas. I, think, uh, I can use them in any game. Well, well,
1: which is which is actually interesting. I don't know if we want to shift yet, but you know, how much does the game? Or the way, the numbers you roll affect the character you play. And the reason I ask that is, when I was young, you rolled six numbers, and they were what they were, and you didn't yeah. get to re-roll, and there was no point-by system. And so you might want to play a brilliant wizard, but if you rolled an eight in intelligence, you were going to be the dwarven fighter or whatever. Um, and now I feel like we've moved much more towards the system, either because of the point-by or just letting people re-roll, where at least you're starting where you want to start. There's a high level of customization in terms of class, race, and really your stats. Um, But within the system, uh, like if you're playing Pathfinder or 4th Edition, you're going to be focused, I think, much more on numbers and picking the right skills and picking the right feats because those things are really important, more so even it seems like than you know certainly than in fifth edition and much more so I think than Dungeon World or some other games. So, uh, do you do you always start with the idea first and then just kind of make the mechanics fit your idea, or do you ever go the other way?
2: I th- I think I do start with the idea uh, idea first, um, and I think if I look at some of the the characters that I've created. Some of them would work better if we played 5th edition or if we played Dungeon World just because I know how the characters would be played in that system. Like, the druid in 5th edition is played so different than the druid in Dungeon World. So, like, I'd be more likely to play the druid in one than the other. Mm-hmm. Or if it was, I wanted to play a Barbarian, the Barbarian set in 5th edition is much more laid out than Dungeon World. I think it's probably one of the the newest classes in, in Dungeon World.
0: They do have that available. It's not part of the core system, but there is another. There's I, a. a I just
2: downloaded it again the other day, yeah. and it's now included with the, the yeah, set. The, the latest so, download, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so th- that system does play a- an important piece and i would say that while we're talking about it too a lot of it falls into the genre of the game as well when we're talking about here D D, pathfinder dungeon world that's all the medieval fantasy type stuff of mm-hmm. course it's different if you're trying to create han solo in a space game than it is creating um you know aragorn in a, a medieval fantasy game but when, when you're discussing the system I think one of the biggest things to consider is that. What are the classes that are available? Because Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest variance between the systems. What are the classes that are available and what do they do that are different? Mm -hmm. So when you come up with, I just want to be a a big, strong fighter. Well, if you're playing D&D, you might want to pick a barbarian. And if you're playing Pathfinder, depending on what it is, you might want to pick a fighter because there's different skills and feats. And a lot of that comes into play when you're deciding what character you're going to have based on the system itself. So right. you, it may steer your entire direction one way or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes down to those systems, though, to what Kurt was saying earlier with the numbers, I think they, the possibilities for character generation now are opened up so much more than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, where it used to be, you rolled them and you put those numbers right in there assigned to order right down the sheet. I'm pretty sure every game now gives you the option of at least rolling them and putting them where you want after you roll them. Even if it is just you roll 3d6 and put that number where you want, at least you can still put the highest one in your best stat. Um, And then the point by systems, and then they do, depending on the system, they'll account for high fantasy, low fantasy. So you get more numbers, less numbers. Um, I personally uh, like the array system where it just gives you a set of numbers and you assign them because they're usually above average Um, or at least average and it allows you then to create a good starting character without having to go through rolls. so that's one way that i really like to um to get a character generated and every character i've made over the last few years has been based on an array i don't Mm -hmm. I, i don't like to roll them so much but i know that can hinder some people where they in an array system you hardly ever get the top number as a choice but you could roll the top number. Mm-hmm. And people who are very much into that, making the maximum out of a stat, are going to want to at least try that roll. I want to get the 18. I know I can roll three. So that one's,
1: how honest are they? Because yeah. then when they don't roll the top number, do they just go home and roll again? Yeah, <laughs> back when
2: we yeah. actually did roll at the shop, how many of those people, when they'd come in and be like, oh yeah, this is what I rolled, and it was like the best character creation ever, how many of them were really like, Yeah. Sure, sure about it. Sure. I but, mean, at least if, if yeah, you no knew... No one comes in with
1: 7, 12, 12, uh, 4. Yeah. If you knew what
2: the numbers were available, then no one's going to cheat it, because you can't cheat it, because everyone has the same. Right.
0: So in, in that vein, um, thinking of background in the system, uh, we've all played the Pathfinder Society, the Dungeons & Dragons Encounters. We've now played the starter set with pre-generated characters. Is it important even to have a background for a pre-generated character? Um, I mean, I don't think that, uh, it,
2: it, it depends if you're playing a pre-generated adventure as well, because I think that if it was a pre-generated character that was going through a random adventure, you could for, you could forge that background into the character. Like it would make a difference, but in, if you have a pre-generated adventure, whether you grew up rich or poor or in a hole or raised by wolves, it probably wouldn't factor in unless you're, you're going to actually tell people that you were raised by wolves.
0: (laughs) All right. What do you think, Kurt?
1: I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I can see see it both ways. I think, uh, the pre-gen will give a lot of people just a more fleshed out idea in their mind of who the character is, especially if they're new. Uh, whether they like the backstory or not, it gives them a sense of who they're playing. Uh, the flip side is if you don't love the backstory, then you it's still there in your mind. You can't get away from it. And, like, for example, I have one particular trait with Thor that is just so counter to how I play. You know, he's supposed to be Reserved um, super timid. I- insecure yeah. and timid and hanging back, and I just can't play it that way. Like. Uh. It's just, yeah, we've kind of it noticed. would take so much work. Yeah. yeah, and I can deal with everything else. I can deal with his doubt of in the gods, and I can deal with his backstory with this clan. And I kind of like having that in the back of my mind. Um, so I've just disregarded this other character trait. Yeah. But you know, why <laughs> did why is that, like that there? It's not important yeah. to the starter set that I that, that my character be insecure or timid. I, I think
0: make... I think it might be to the point of um, providing motivation. Because one of the things I was going to ask is on a pre-generated character or if you're taking a character into an encounters or Pathfinder Society session, do you do you put motivation behind the character? My, my first thought is yes. When I played a player in the encounters, I played a druid and I wanted that druid to have that uh, that um, stereotypical force of. I want everything to be natural. And if it's not natural, I want to destroy it. You know, I was taking that hardline druid approach and that's why way I wanted to play that character. Now, unfortunately encounters didn't lend itself to me actually playing that really what it came down to was when I was there, I had to do the most damage I could as a druid and then heal when I needed to. And that was it. <laughs> you know, that was what you had to do. But having a motivation to me, was more important than a backstory, even though we were supposed to create a backstory as well. So I think for that, The pre-generated characters in the starter set, I I think that that type of thing, that flaw, is supposed to help provide the motivation for the player on how to handle the character.
1: Right. I think when you're playing in a uh, homespun game, not playing a printed adventure, and you don't have a set end date, the backstories and motivations and things can get a lot more interesting because there's no doubt that we are trying to get through an adventure on a timetable and... Uh, I can't try to convince the party to go off and do something that Thor would want to do and or it's simply not written into the adventure. It it couldn't be there. Whereas if we were playing one of your games, I imagine that if I could convince Mickey and JJ and Mike that my character needed to go do something and it was important to me, we could all make that happen. And if it took three weeks, then who cares?
0: Um, I think that's a valid point too. When the players want to work together to achieve character goals, that can be a big plus. And in a pre-generated adventure or like an encounters or pathfinder society session, your goal is set by the game, not by the characters. Right. So the game itself here uh, in this one, the, there are stages along the way, but the end result is to figure out what the heck's going on in the wave echo cave. Right. right? And so that's, a, that's everyone sh- has the same goal, regardless of what your individual character goals are.
1: I think that's an absolutely huge point that... <sighs> You know, if there is a very clearly defined end goal to the campaign that the players know, you're less likely to get what, you know, character based, for lack of a better word, tangents. But having said that, to me, if the goal is just, I've got a home game we're going to play once a week or once a month, and as long as we have fun for four hours with these characters, the campaign is a framework, but nothing more, then the character backstory and stuff gets even more important and interesting.
2: Agreed. There's also things like I I was. Talking with the guys earlier, and um, and stuff like like Mickey's motivation for uh, Bree is very specific in in this starter set. Which in the starter set it's okay because we're we have chapters that we move through, and and we are are gonna play through the whole thing. But like if it was a big old adventure, um, and her goal was to take revenge on the red brands and in act one or act two, we decimate the red brands. Then she doesn't really have any motivation anymore to stick with the team unless she comes up with something new. Like, like before I I came up, we, I was playing with another group and I had a character that was a warforged and he was like basically this big golem thing and his backstory was so specific that he had he was his his name was number eight, and he was one of eight warforged that were this big fighting force, and they were called like the eight or something like that. And uh and his goal when he woke up was to find his eight brothers. Well, at first it was okay because I could get along with, oh, I'm going along with this group because um, I haven't heard anything and maybe they'll hear something that will push my story and, and a clue of somewhere to go. And then after that first adventure, when we're thinking of what to do and I actually get a clue, then why would I stay with the party? If the party isn't willing to just follow my adventure... Right, It makes it a failure of a character because you're, you're going to have to step aside at, or get a new goal.
0: You need some interpersonal connections between the characters before they would follow one to go off and do some obscure story, right? Right.
1: And that's why sometimes... Um, you can have a very interesting character, but a fairly generic motivation. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sir Walter Moss wants to make money. Yes. And he that, wants
0: to I bring, mean, bring his a, family name back into prominence, essentially. I mean, By sim- making a bunch yeah. of money, yes.
1: Simple, classic, but it works, and it yeah. gives you flexibility to do whatever you want. Yeah. Also, the kind of, you know, I want to, yeah, or I, you know... I was the runt of the litter. I want to prove myself to my family yeah. or you know, whatever. Those are very generic, but they work. Yeah. It's just then as that goes along, you've got a ton of flexibility. How do you customize it and make it interesting and non-generic?
2: Yeah, I think you should definitely have a slightly generic motivation with a fairly fleshed out backstory. Like you can use that backstory. If your motivation is I want to get money or I want to be respected then you can take that and run with it forever um, and then use your, your little backstory pieces to, to just see your character, your, your character, yeah, just who
0: you are. So so with that, based on a lot of that, to me, that comes to the system when you're in a story where you already know the beginning and the end of the story, even though you don't necessarily know the middle and you're about to color in those lines, the, knowing that that system is holding you to a certain set, that definitely limits it. But let's say, like Kurt was saying, when we're talking about you want to play in an open game, a, a, a world that somebody has created that is just an open world campaign, that, like we've played with the dungeon world that we're mm-hmm. doing with the space right now. And you start off with no, not necessarily any real knowledge of what the world is yet. How does that flavor your creation of a character? I'll give you an example of when we started the character creation with Dungeon World and the games that I have played, I don't create the world before we create the characters. So that means you're creating a character and part of the creation of your character is going to determine to me how the world starts. And this goes to something I said at the last, um, in the last sidebar. As a GM, I only need to create what the players don't create. So that helps me in so far as I'll give an example. If you, start, if you start a character and you create your character and say, "All right, I want to be um, a fighter, and the reason I 'm a fighter is because you know I'm from a family of, of all women, it was my, my mom and my dad, my dad died when I was young, and I had six sisters, and I had to protect them, so I became a fighter, and now i 'm very protective of any families I see, and you come up with that as an idea, and the first the, uh, the first situation I'm gonna put you in is that there's a family in trouble and you need to protect them, right? So that I'll take what you have come up with as a player and turn that into the beginning of our story. Now, if you didn't have a world to start with, the only knowledge you have is that you're going to be in a medieval fantasy world. How does that flavor the way you start creating your character? Because that plays a lot into the backstory when you don't know what the world is yet.
1: That's a good question. I am drawn towards a certain type of character. Now, that doesn't mean I will always play that character. I like to intentionally play other characters to learn games better or just for variety. But I think most of us... Actually, I shouldn't say that because I'm not sure it's true about Mike. A lot of us, whether it's in video games or tabletop are drawn towards one or two types of characters. You know, you either want to be the sneaky assassin, not necessarily the rogue, but you want to play an assassin-type mm-hmm. character, or you want to be the powerful spellcaster. And, uh, and so if I don't know the world, depending on how comfortable I am with the system, I'm probably going to be drawn towards one of the things that I instinctively want to play, mm-hmm. and then figure out... The way I would do it is then try to figure out the mechanics... I'm not trying to min-max it. I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what feats are available, or whatever just skills, whatever you call them, which interests me, which do I think I c- could combine to make the type of character I like to play or want to play, and then get that framework in place, and then I probably go to the backstory from there. Whereas, you know, my I probably starts with the backstory. I probably work it in at that point, and I don't know. I haven't had to do that. I might have a. Harder time with that, not knowing the world, and might stay a little more generic than I than I should, just due to so lack that, of familiarity. Let's try a
0: little exercise with that. Let's say we're starting a new world now, and Kurt, based on the the types of classes or 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 archetypes that you're aware of, what is the class you're most likely going to want to play if all of them are open? Right. And so, what would you what what type of class would you pick first?
1: Okay. So I in this particular group. Want to be the most accommodating player possible, so I will play whatever needs to be played, and I truly
0: mean that. And, and I would say from there, and and right. this is uh, this ties into the way Joe, the way I run a world. It, it's very different from a pre published adventure. You play what you want, and the world fits the party. Right, the party doesn't have to fit the world. Although, it Doesn't have to be a perfect makeup. I,
2: and you say that, but at mm-hmm. the same time, if if we all play a certain race and then you're going to have some thing that we're lacking like there (laughs) there's it's hard to to shake that mindset that as a party you're coming together to like fill the gaps that on the
0: other characters that is the and that's where i take it as that is the stereotypical every Every puzzle has more than one solution, whereas we are trained in role-playing games to understand that if there's a trap, it is a rogue. That's it. Right. All right? right. That, But that, to me, that's just not reality. Every right. puzzle has more than one solution. So a trap can be uh, disarmed properly or improperly. Right. The, the idea of throwing a rock at the loose pressure plate on the floor that's still going to work and it's still going to set off whatever it is. And I find in my experience that the the best stories come from a class that wasn't supposed to do it, doing it, whatever it may be. So the the wizard that's doing all the healing, right? And right. we're talking about Ferris constantly. He's doing what he's not supposed to do and that makes for the most <laughs> recountable stories. Cuz he's got
1: me on his back. Right.
0: Thor, <laughs> Thor the healer, the cleric of the group kicking ass with the bad guys for uh, you know several sessions and we talk about that. We don't be except for his lack of healing. We don't talk about healing right. with Thor. So to me that the reason that happens is when you take something out of its element, whatever the class may be, and especially if it ties into a great backstory, um, that, act, that creates more memorable moments. I, some of the best times I've had are uh, a group that may have had two fighters, a wizard, a rogue, and a healer. And the wizard, the rogue, and the healer are all dead, and now two fighters have to right. figure out how to get out right. of this room, this puzzle that they're in, mm-hmm. and those are some of the best stories. Right.
1: So to your question, if I were starting from scratch in a world that I didn't know, instinctively, I want to play an intelligent bookworm spellcaster of some kind. Um, I'm drawn towards, like, just personally, I like arcane knowledge. I like to sit around dusty libraries and leather chairs reading books and becoming as powerful as possible. You'll even see with me playing the cleric, if you look at the stats, I mean, I should be out with my Warhammer 75% Seventy five percent of the time, it's like and, a war to,
0: cleric, and, a battle cleric. Yeah, right? and
1: today, I mean, I would. I mean, every single turn, I'm trying to find a spell that I can cast, seeing yeah. if I have a spell slot. If I don't, did I have a cantrip? Like that's just what I'm drawn towards. I don't know the cleric spells. I don't necessarily play it well, but that's how I want to play the character. Um, I have no interest. I will do it, but no interest in playing a barbarian. I have no interest in being the fighter. I want to play. I don't even have an interest in being. What do they called? The the Eldric Knight that kind of combines. Oh, yeah. You know, a martial sword mage. Yeah, you can you, a sword mage exactly. Type, right. I think it's cool and visually it's awesome. I just I want to in a perfect world I want to play the, the the smart send the back cast as many different spells as possible. Now the reason I shy away from it is because not being particularly experienced, you know you play your awesome AOE spell, area of effect spell at the wrong time, and your whole party looks at you like, dude, really? And you're stuck <laughs> with, you know, Ray of Frost for three yeah. days. I don't want to do it like that. But just instinctively, that's how I want to play.
2: So let's I, go Let's for, go with this. For I mean, someone who says that they don't have a lot of experience, The to me, the magic users are the ones that have the most intricacies. Mm-hmm. And they are like, if if you are a player that has played a long time, it seems like you go to the because it, like, the possibilities like, really b- branch out, yeah. whereas if if you would, as an amateur player, play the fighter or the ranger, that are usually pretty much like, you shoot them, or you, you, or you pop don't. them, right? Right. and that's it, yeah. but uh, just, it's cool that you so gravitate let, to Let me ask you, characters. Kurt, with
0: that in mind, let's take the next step there, so it, this world you know nothing about, but what you want to play is the bookworm, right? You want to play the, the intelligent spellcasting uh, character. You've got that in mind now. Like you said, you, you think of the class. Now, what would be some of the, the, the big points of a backstory? What would you want to cover for that character?
1: Right. Not knowing the world.
0: Not knowing the world. Because as part of creating your character's backstory, you're actually creating facts in the world. Right. So if you say that I studied in Wizard Tower uh, of Johnny Smith, well, that Wizard Tower now exists in the world. Right. right? So, that so I mean, I think about
1: it a couple different ways. I mean, one could be you were the smartest kid in the class, right. and you were the, that, and because of that, you developed these skills and powers, and you're now using them for good or evil or personal gain or whatever the motive is another way to play it would be that's what you wanted to be and you were never smart enough along or, or you, you know, you either didn't get into the class, you didn't get into the school or you were at the bottom of it and always struggling and are trying to make up for that. And that that's part of the leveling up of your character is becoming the person that you wanted to be. Um, so I guess, you know, I kind of think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like um, I actually kind of like the backstory that I've got with uh, Thor I don't remember whether it was on the sheet or whether I made it up of, you know, the rock seekers being these kind of famed adventurers mm-hmm. and me being a clansman of them, but no one knows who I am. And, you know, I'd like to be known like they are. I mean, mm-hmm. I think for me that's a motivation I like to play, and I could do that with the wizard.
2: Yeah, um, I think well, uh, you sort of have to, with that wizard that's the bookworm, you have to sort of establish a reason why he left the library. Because, mm-hmm. like, you would think if if he was just this nerdy bookworm he might be satisfied with just reading up every spell book he never maybe never even casting a spell just like he knows all the spells and he just maybe teaches at the school instead of breaks out on adventures that could kill him
1: right so then you can you know is it a fi- is it a motivation where s- someone injured a family member or killed your family and you want revenge is it you want monetary gain is it you are looking for an ancient text that no one's maybe able to find that will have power. I mean, there's all kind of cl- kind of classic tropes, or you can come up with something crazy and original that I would need more time to think about. Yep. Um, but that's kind of the way I would go about it. Also, you know, once you know the world or the or the skills that are available to you, then you know, there's so much variety within the magic user class. What yep. type of what type of mage are you gonna be, or what type of you know, if it's sci fi there's an equivalent to manipulating you know, force powers or whatever. What type of user are you Science. gonna be? science yeah. right
0: so what, what do you think about that mike how, how, how do you take that same approach and creating a character from nothing um well um Huh. tricky one yeah it is um you do it all the time but you don't think about it yeah, right? <laughs> yeah
2: i guess i just think of what what i would want included in the world mm-hmm. and then By including it in my backstory, I'm essentially putting it into the world. So if I want there to be a sub-race of dwarves that are ocean-faring dwarves, then I can say, oh, he was part of this band of dwarves that sailed the high seas, and there's now the dwarves that are under the mountain, and there's the dwarves that sail out on the sea. See, this
1: is this yeah. is something you're getting by playing with Joe, too, because there are a lot of dungeon masters who, you know, you'd say, I'm a pirate seafaring dwarf, and they're like, no, you're not.
0: No, you can't do or, that. Or,
1: you know, I can't, I don't have the time to bring yeah. that into my world, or the flexibility on game night mm. to bring that into my world. So, I think we're, we're lucky in that regard. Um, yeah, you are. How much of your, like, do you read a lot of fantasy, or do you read a lot of the core, you know, of the, the books for the systems because you know there are listeners out there who've read every Dungeons and Dragons novel that's been written and and there are some who don't read that at all
0: that would be
2: me yeah i not i, I haven't read the books other than skimming through the the uh player's handbook right. but like you know tieflings and warforges is that from playing encounters or from well um tieflings i recently i read about them in the player's handbook so that's how i know about them and then I just go online and I look at pictures and and stuff like that. And Warforges back in, when there was fourth edition, um, I paid for the character builder that was online. Yeah, the insiders. And when pictures. you did that, it when it was building, you would go through a list that went on forever about all these races, and it was not like like you say that they have they have broadened it when it was 4th edition, it was out of control broadened. Like, between mm-hmm. character races and character classes, there was like 50 of them. Each of them. And it, it was like... Yeah, too much. Yeah. And they branched off
0: in different directions, too. The, there's a, like a you know, fighter, paladin, fighter, cavalier, fighter, all these different things that you might want to pick fighter, but then you pick fighter, now you've got twenty options, the same like yeah, right. with a rogue and it got extremely complicated. Let me ask then, um continuing in the same idea of the background, the system, once you've started coming up with these ideas, how important is it that your background surfaces within the game? And is that something that you do, something the GM does, or is it kind of a joint effort?
2: I Well, it's very important because otherwise why would you wouldn't bother having it? I mean, uh, I think Joe has said it before that that um, if you're holding this cool thing back and it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter that it, you're holding this thing back because it, it it'll never be this cool thing, right? So it's
0: everything is secret by default, and if you never reveal it, then it never actually happened. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Right. And then you end up playing a generic character. You know, I say I haven't played a lot of games. I forget about video games. I mean, I've spent a lot of time playing video games, which is where a lot of us played RPGs for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I think about, and I know I'm going to get lynched if anyone is listening on this, but, you know, people love Skyrim. I mean, it's one of the most popular games Mm -hmm. of modern world. And I don't understand how, how you can spend that much time on Skyrim when there's a game out there like Dragon Age Origins, the first Dragon Age, where every character is so original and has a backstory and they interact with each other in really meaningful ways as opposed to the Skyrim model where you're just kind of this faceless character with absolutely minimal backstory who goes and gets a million quests and does a million cool things, but in a lot of ways doesn't really seem to
2: ever affect the world. Although, by doing those million quests, you're shaping the character in that way. So you you start with a blank slate, and then you're like, oh, but you're also the guy that that killed off the werewolves in this town. You're the guy that save this person from, from drowning. But you can do t- totally inconsistent things with
1: your character. Like, you can run... You, if you're willing to put the time in on that game, you can run the Thieves Guild and then become the head of the Dark Assassin Brotherhood and become the head of all these... Like, that no character would ever do all of those. But there are people who are just like, I want to see everything the game has to offer, so I'm going to do every quest. Whereas in a game like Dragon Age going down one road closes other roads. Like, you can't make a really evil action here and then ever get back in with the really good character. Like, she will literally leave the game if you do certain things, and I I like that.
0: Let's take that into the RPG uh, space, because to me, the backstory you create for your character before the first session, before day zero, is one part. But then every day you play, you're creating more backstory for the character, and that, that, I think, goes to what we're just saying here. As that progresses, do you feel like um, the backstory or, or the new story, perhaps, that you're creating for your character, do you, when you're playing, do you stick with that? And we'll use that, that kind of example. So say your character you've been playing has a, a, a backstory of uh, he was a, a bad guy and he's turning good and all you've done are good actions and you're known as a good person. Are, are you are you likely then to maybe have a relapse because of your backstory or do you continue being a good person?
2: I mean, that definitely opens up a, a, a possibility for uh, you branching that character in different ways like that. It makes it almost more intriguing to have him or her with the possibility of relapsing and doing something horrible that wipes All the good deeds out again and starts them back at zero.
1: And it's interesting for the party because if you're my party member and we've been playing for a month and you've been increasingly good and then you do something that is reprehensible to us, you know, how, if at all, can we forgive you? How can we keep playing with you? And I think that makes an interesting dynamic where, you know, is he going to earn our trust back or is he now an enemy?
2: Who knows? I mean, in the last, um, in the fantasy dungeon world game that we finished up, um one of the other characters did this terrible thing and we had like planned the whole time that we were going to do this with with this item and out of the blue he goes I'm going to do this with this item and just totally destroys the item we could never use it for anything again uh it really benefits him because he did it but yeah. um then the whole party and and like when it first happened I seriously we we did this like side thing where we we walked side, into yeah. one of the the side rooms and I was like well I think that my character would would kill him. Yeah. I think he would just be killed and and they almost had to talk me down cuz otherwise this guy was gone. He was he was, you know, was going to get taken out. Well, but, I mean, he's got to expect that as a possible consequence of what he did. I also
0: pled to some of the guilt involved with that, because as the GM, when this character was attempting something, it didn't go as well as he planned. And because of that, instead of consuming one resource, I consumed two resources plus. I made it so that what he did was irretrievable. He could not go back to the original plan. And that was my choice as GM to to provide kind of a conflict because and this is i think mike thanks for bringing it up because to me it's a great example of backstory uh Uh, in this adventure there was backstory for two characters playing at the same time and neither one exactly knew the backstory of the other so as gm and this is what i was saying before i'm going to bring your backstory up in the game whether you like it or not because you wrote it and i'm going to make sure it doesn't get lost so we had one character who had written something into his backstory that although it kind of had surfaced it hadn't been brought to the forefront and it had been sitting out there for four months real time and i'm like you know it's time the things are just the stars are aligned and i'm going to pull all this stuff together and make sure something big and bad happens that isn't somebody being killed but it's going to change the course of what's going on and it was all tied to the backstories of the characters
1: I think the backstory has to have consequences, and the actions have to have consequences. I'm really enjoying the starter set very much, but the, the things I like least about it are when we, when we make selfish choices and they don't have consequences. Like, it really bothered me. I know it totally makes sense for the game, but when we went to the Banshee and did what I considered a not good choice by using it for, for selfish ends instead of what we went there for. And that's not, not a bad choice. It's not an evil choice. It's just a, it's a selfish choice and it makes absolutely no difference. Mm-hmm. Um, in a perfect world, that would have come around to bite us somehow, even if only in a minor way.
0: And it could. That's yeah. a good point.
1: Um, and the same thing with backstory. Like you said, if you write it in there mm-hmm. and it's significant, it really should come around to either bite you or help you down the
2: road. And then, like, also with the with that backstory, it could also uh, indirectly like link two characters. Um, I know I've played in games before where you um, where at the very beginning we came up with, and I know this guy from here, and I know this guy from here. So there's like backstory even just within the characters, so that you have some kind of pull with them, even if it's not a positive thing, like. Maybe they swindled you out of money, but right. you know that they're good I, at cheating at cards yeah, or something.
1: Connection between the characters is awesome because think about how many of our games are you meet in a tavern yeah. and someone's looking for adventures. I mean, it's probably 90% of home games, right? Yeah.
0: And I try but, to never do it. <laughs>
1: but think about an exa- a counterexample of an yeah. amazing connection. Think about Empire Strikes Back, Lando Calrissian, and Han Solo. Yeah, We don't know anything about what happened before except mm-hmm. that Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon from him in a gambling bet, and Lando is bitter about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a great hook.
0: Although it hasn't fit well with the group that has been playing Dungeon World uh, for me on a regular basis, they have something built into the character generation called bonds, where when you create your character, there is a blank and then a statement that goes around it. So something like, you know, a blank stole from me once, I'll get back at him and you write down the name of another character during character creation. So it gives the characters a link. Like I said, it hasn't worked great with the group that we're playing with because there's some discrepancy on whether the bonds are written well in the basic character sheet, and then you know the general laziness of humans that I don't want to write a new one, but we really should, so we end up skipping over it. And then- but some systems do try and account for that, whereas I think in the starter set, I think they could have done a better job linking the characters. Everybody wants to go to Fandolin for something, but they didn't really do much to link the individual characters to each other.
2: Right. Aside from the original thing where we all thought that Ten Gold was really nice to, mm-hmm. to ride a wagon down the right. coast. Right, yeah.
0: And that was just me pulling the the starter uh, the adventure hook from the beginning because it says if the players don't all agree to go to Fandolin for some other reason, here's the hook you use to do it. So I wanted to just take that hook and do right. it. You know, let's put everyone on this wagon and get started, so mm-hmm. we don't have to uh, spend all the time there. Right.
1: We haven't talked a ton about um, you know numbers and mechanics on creation. I think because playing with you, I have a sense for if I pick the wrong spells at first or do my stats wrong at level one, it's not going to damn me for the next 20 levels. Whereas in video games, for example, mm-hmm. your initial some games, if you set your initial stats wrong, or you may pick the wrong feats in the first few levels, when you get a hundred hours in and you're, you're facing the final big bad, you literally may not be able to finish it. And that's, I think the way a lot of the min maxers think. Um, and that's, that's, would be something interesting to talk about and that JJ might have some thoughts about mm-hmm. sometime. Um, but what I like for us and what I, what I think fifth Edition will be good for, for new players is I get the sense from looking at the rules that you are not going to be irretrievably harmed by
0: your initial choices. And it doesn't seem like it. And, and I always think that that's especially for new players and even experienced players in a new system. Mm-hmm. Level one is, is your test run that if you don't like how it's working at the time that you're playing for several sessions and you think, you know what, I really wish I had put the better modifier in Dex rather than constitution. Go ahead and switch them, you know, switch the modifier around. It doesn't change anything in reality because it makes you happier as a player. That should make your GM happier. That makes hopefully the table run smoother. So the, the openness there, and it goes to, we we had talked before about, how in some cases you get the adversarial relationship between a GM and a player. And as a GM, if you tell them, you know what, you, you rolled it as a 16 and it's got to stay as a 16 cause that's what you rolled. Um, that's just being a prick. There's no real need to do that. Uh, it, we're supposed to be having fun. We're supposed to be adults, playing. well, maybe not everyone's an adult I'm not, <laughs> uh, sitting around the table playing and you have to be able to make those concessions as human beings to one another. And, uh, make it so that the players will have the character they want in front of them before they move on. For me, that plays in with the, the system, the stats you're going, the back, the background, the backstory that you've given to the character and how they fit into the world. Uh, don't exclude somebody because of their backstory. For that matter, somebody comes up with, uh, and I think with this may have been mentioned one in the, in the previous sidebar of if I want to play a drow, but Joe says there's no drow in the world. It, when it comes to that, I would say, then there are drow in the world or you're the first explain how that happened. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, how you're the first uh, in a new race of species. What, how did that come about? And that could even introduce a cooler backstory, you know, some kind of evil experiment with a high elf went horribly awry and Mm -hmm. poof, the first drow is born. And uh, that's the type of thing that I think if the GM can just make the allotment for it. And for the most part, you don't even need to change basic stats a draw at the first drow of the earth uh, or the world could have the same stats as an elf a regular elf and then tweak one thing you know they're they're better they see better in the dark but they're you know they're they have horrible vision above ground because of the light you know, it, find one little thing to tweak and that becomes a new race and you allow the player their decision that backstory the thing they really wanted without really having to change the world
1: you've run a lot more games. This is shifting gears a bit and we don't have much time left, but how many parties generally are people playing positively together in the sense of they are all either neutral good or good characters working towards a common goal as opposed to, you know, sometimes I want to make, you're not allowed to play evil characters generally, but I'd like to play a chaotic neutral character. Mm -hmm. But I worry that, I just ended up being a dick with the party always. This this
0: comes down to, and Mike has kind of witnessed both sides of this, so I'll let him speak. But let me tell you what the, the piece that matters to me. It is the people piece before the game. When we sit down to play, before we even start a game, I say, regardless of what you are thinking of doing as characters, to make this game last, you need to play cooperatively. If you cannot play cooperatively, we should not start because no game is going more than one or two sessions. Now, if you just wanna play a few episodes and start over, okay, we can do that. But it's very important that people understand if you're sitting down at the same table and you want to continue to play again and again and again, the players have to be cooperative. Now that's true whether it be a good character hero story or a not so good character story. Players, if they cannot cooperate in the game, the game will not last it's just that simple and that's something I realized a long time ago and I address it as people before we even start on the game Mike do you want to comment yeah, on mean, the good versus not so good
2: yeah the the space that' we're, we started playing on mondays uh, we we started we're all criminals, so we are all on that evil side of the spectrum, and we all have different criminal backgrounds and Uh, We're sort of all, we don't work super well together, but at the same time, we have a similar goal that that sort of brings us together. And it is so hard. It is so hard to play evil. Because, like, you don't think about it, but when you're a good character, when you go into a town, you can walk up to anyone and be like, I need this, I need that. When you're a bad character, you got to sneak around, you got to steal it. If you get caught, then you got cops chasing you. Uh then you can't go to this place and and maybe the cops are on the move, so it blocks you from going to this other place and you have to sneak around and it's it's just every even the littlest they went, thing.
0: They went grocery shopping and got in a fight. But you guys are yeah. still
2: cooperating. Yeah. That's the I point. Mean, it's not like yeah. you're, st- you're not stealing from each other. And, I mean, or it's, it's as much as, like, Bree, uh, even as a good character, will steal. If I would have said tonight or today, oh, I want one of those golden items that we found. There's no reason that she wouldn't, as a rogue, just swipe that out of my pocket like she's done before. Or in
0: the previous one where you found the sarcophagus and she's taking the rings off of the bones in the sarcophagus. And others may not want to, but she'll do it. So I think what's important there is conflict between the characters, but not so much combat and confrontation. I say conflict, not combat. I don't want characters attacking each other, but I like it when characters are at odds with each other Mm -hmm. it creates more exciting stuff we've got a little drama oh uh, and and so with that i think we're getting close to an hour we can we can start to wrap it up any other thoughts as far as um backstory with characters i guess let's go at it this route as we get to wrapping up the starter set how how much are you looking forward to creating your own character with a backstory
1: a ton yeah a ton and it's funny i think of myself as a really chill relaxed person but my ocd side comes out with character creation like i love to just take a whole afternoon and sit down with the rule book and sit down with a blank character sheet or 10 and start playing around with it and uh my wife she's playing Magic the Gathering and and character creation she's just like I don't I don't know where this comes from in your personality <laughs> I'm really really looking forward to it yeah. and I'm looking forward to someday um doing it in a in a game setting that I haven't played not so much mm-hmm. uh a different mechanic as doing it for me like in a sci-fi world or mm-hmm. uh something that I've never done
0: and our options are really open as we wind up the D&D starter set um, we we really have our pick of everything to play. So yeah. I mean, I love fantasy
1: and I much. want to play the medieval fantasy more than anything and probably with this group for a while, but at some point if we did a Star Wars game or a space game or something, I'm not as drawn to that world, but I think it would be interesting to create a character in that world because I've never done it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think, Mike? What are you looking forward to?
2: Oh, I'm, yeah, I, I don't use the, the character sheets now, but like I said before, I am I have a like an arsenal of characters that I am building and building and building to the point where probably by the time we actually play, I could probably give you all characters.
0: <laughs> I could pre generated ideas. Yeah, I could yeah.
2: almost pre gen like anything at and it, it that's cool. I I just love doing it. I I I've eaten lunch and I, I just think, oh, it would be great if this person had this name and and they they did this and i wonder if if i could mix these two things and make it work and and i'm very curious um to see what we what everyone else comes up with because i mean if if mine is is weird and it doesn't work then it doesn't work then uh, it doesn't matter how much time i put into it so maybe i'll make a
0: druid
1: with an irrational fear of animals
2: (laughs)
0: It could be a (laughs) rational How many times you get Bitten by a bear before you're actually afraid of them Uh, What what I think I'm looking really Forward to is the idea that When we start up a game where people have Created their own characters regardless of the Genre the rules or the setting uh, I think that The the players you guys are going to be more Vested in the character you're going to have that That desire to play out The character of the character And I'm looking forward to Uh, in contrast to what we did with the starter set, like Kurt mentioned earlier, where we kind of read off our character sheet, I am doing this, I am here for this, and I want to go do this, uh, with the backgrounds and the backstories being unknown the day we start, it will be up to each person. Player to reveal those as we go and rather than that five minutes of going around the table and hearing everybody's motivation and backstory i'm looking forward to maybe one one whole session being devoted to one person as their character kind of spilling their guts out you know what happened to me in the past why did i just freak out when there was a skeleton or something like that i'm really looking forward more to that role play which we've been a little stifled the, the way that we're doing it i think we're we're giving our characters personality but I don't feel like they're fleshed-out characters. So yeah. I, that's what I'm looking forward to most in the next part. Definitely.
2: Awesome. And Joe's world. Uh, Joe's world. Party I mean, time. I, I know that uh, Joe having to find the the answers in a book is, is not Joe. I, <laughs> it's I a mean, little rough. The amount of times where he'll just come up with something out of the blue and it is... It's the the coolest thing, but I mean, that's I, I'm looking forward to everyone else seeing seeing what he can do when the, the handcuffs
0: come off. That's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: On that glowing note, I think we're all set for today.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: Yep. Thanks, guys, and remember to find us online at AdventuresFromTheShed.com. Uh, see you later. There are certainly many topics to discuss in regards to character creation, so join us on our website and Google community if you'd like to offer your input. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. The preceding podcast was brought to you by Shedcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.